Well, we welcome back with us missionaries Chris and Karen Ball. They're sitting back there. Hello, wave at us. And congratulations on your new baby. That's a blessing. Chris and Karen, let's give them a welcome back. Chris and Karen serve in South Sudan. And uh, we're back for a little bit just to have uh, Baby Ball, who is now here. And so we're excited about that. And also you'll notice that Steve and Cindy Arnold are back as well. They're in, they were in the first service, so uh, if you get a chance to say hi to them, serving the Lord as well internationally. Hey, how many of you are really saddened by the redefinition of marriage in our culture? Are you saddened by that? In fact, how many of you are really downright outraged by the redefinition of marriage? Yes? Yes? Well, to be honest, we don't have a leg to stand on as God's people because the idea of redefining marriage originated with the church, with us. We have been redefining marriage, God's people, since God designed it in the beginning. Our Father and our God, we bow our heads this morning with recognition that you are God, you are Lord. You've granted to us your wisdom through your word. You have illustrated and articulated very definitively and clearly the design of marriage. And we want to first confess as your people that we have not represented your design very well. And as a result, the world runs amok. And Father, you have indicated in your word that judgment begins in the church of Jesus Christ. It's not really ours to judge those outside of the church. But it is our responsibility to look at each other and ask the question, are we living up to the design that God has given to us? And so, Father, our hearts are sobered this morning. I come before you with a heart of confession and recognize how far short of the glory of God I have been as a husband. And I ask, Father, that as we get honest before you this morning, we've been singing, we praise you and we give you thanks and we honor you. Every knee will bow and confess that you are Lord. Well, maybe we could start right now by confessing that you are Lord of our relationships and that you are the designer of those relationships and that your word is clear on those relationships and we have not, in many cases, obeyed your word. So how can we be bowing before you and claiming you are Lord if you are not Lord over all of our lives and over every facet of our life? How are we honoring you? 
So God, we invite the Spirit of God this morning to settle in upon us. Open up our minds. I pray, Father, that you would be pleased to help us to move forward in a new and profound way in our relationships, oh God. I pray, Father, that this would be a very meaningful moment in our lives as married couples or those contemplating marriage, that our Father, it would be a new day. A new day would begin today and move forward in ways that we have never seen before. That we might call our church to a biblical worldview of marriage and that we might be, therefore, credible to call our world. So God, I put myself and all of us before you this morning and ask that you would powerfully work among us. Father, we need desperately something different than we have. Would you open up closed eyes and stopped ears and hardened hearts that we might embrace the joy you have for us, oh God. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. And we choose to fall so far short of that. So, Lord, I, I believe this is a great moment for us, an important moment, and I believe you are here among us and you love us and care for us. Please help me to deliver your truth for I ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. I feel very, very burdened about this subject. I've been here long enough with you to know a lot about our relationships, to know that there is chronic ill health among us in terms of our marriages. I know that to be a fact in certain people's lives. I know that to be a fact through anonymous realities that I know to be true. And uh, I've been working on this sermon for 35 years. And I've uh, yet to get it right in my own life. But I believe that God wants us to get it right. And um, I have been working uh, with couples for about 25 years, marrying people, counseling people. I, I think I know a fair bit about the subject of marriage. And I just want to say this morning that uh, that is the subject that we're looking at, uh, biblical marriage. And I believe that there's a total recall required in Christian marriages. Um, Yes, we're upset by the redefinition of marriage in our world, but quite honestly, has our world really seen the right design of marriage by looking at us? And I think uh, in mass, they have not. So um, I also recognize that among us this morning, there'll be a number of single people and um, be saying, well, what is here for me this morning? And God's word is always for all of us, but um, as I shared with you last week, I wasn't covering all sin, I was just covering one kind of sin. And my assignment today is to be focused on marriage, and so I recognize that we won't touch on, on the, the matter of singleness, and there are a lot of people who are single, but I, I've thought about it as I was working on this and realized this is a, a necessary, I need to get, I need to, get to this topic, and 
I also found out this morning, as you're looking at the uh, sermon, as, as I keep babbling along here, and you're saying, why don't you get to the sermon? Because you always take a long time. Uh, I found out this morning that um, I only got halfway through the sermon, so this is why I'm taking time now. I'm kind of like at ease, I'm relaxed. I don't have to finish this sermon because I didn't finish it this morning, so I'm not finishing it now. So I'm just telling you right now, I'm not going to finish the sermon. And uh, for those of you who are type A disappointed because you have notes to fill in, do not despair. I consulted with the grand poobah of discipling communities, Pastor Kelvin, and uh, he has graciously extended me the invitation to uh, take half this week, and right after Easter, I'll take the other half, so you won't miss anything. And I'm going to also pick up some, some issues on singleness next time as well. So uh, I think it's important. So we'll, uh, we're calling an audible this morning, and uh, it'll push all of our discipleship communities a week advance. And so for some of you, that'd be like, ah, oh, you've messed up my calendar. And uh, sorry, but it's the prerogative of being pastor to be able to do that. And I think, you, I think you want, I think we need to hear all of this. We can't be rushing through it. So um, look for that. That's what we're going to do. And uh, I want to, I want to uh, address the matter of a, um, a God-centered worldview on marriage, a God-centered worldview on marriage. Um, God has a lot to say about marriage, and the Word of God is really fundamentally clear. Um, really, um, how can we make our marriages really an apologetic? That's the study of this. That's the, the defining of this series as a a series on apologetics, which is describing the truth about God or how to describe the truth about God. And, and uh, as, we'll, as we dig into the reality of marriage, we, we come to realize that, that God has designed marriage to be an amazing illustration of his relationship with his people. And so uh, it also tells us our, our marriages also very significantly define who God is. There, there is hardly... A, a human behavior reality that, that demonstrates to our world an apologetic for the truth and reality of God like marriage. Um, we, we have this opportunity by how we live to show forth who God is. And uh, that's God's plan for us. Uh, we are called the light of the world. The world is looking at us to see who God is and does God matter? And is God essential to my life? And would it matter if I knew God or, or, do, or if I don't know God? Does it matter? And, and so our marriages become very much a, a, a response to that question. And so I want to share with you this morning that, that in, in, a, in a really amazing way, God has entrusted to us the apologetic of his, rea the reality of God through our marriages and I want to share with you, I was going to share four points with you this morning. I'm going to share two points with you this morning uh, about marriage. And, and the first is this. I need you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Uh, a tiny bit of this is review, but some of you were away and missed our, our, our message last week. And uh, in, in talking about the design of marriage, you have to come back to Genesis anyway, because that's where it all began. So I need you to turn to Genesis chapter 2, and there's a key verse there in verse 18 that says it is not good for man to be alone. Um, 
Everything God made, as, as we understand in creation, everything God made, he said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. He came to people, he said, it's very good. And then he said, something isn't good. It isn't good that man would be alone. Now, I think this is more a reference to generic man, but I, it, it could also be that God is actually talking specifically about the gender of male. Because all of us know that it's really not good for men to be alone. They'll get in a lot of trouble. And so they, they kind of need uh, a counterpart to... To, uh, to deal with that. But so, so God says in his word here, it is not good for man to be alone. And uh, that's the key verse that we, we leap from this morning and, and we'll work our way through the original design. Now, interestingly, and we're going to look at this a little bit uh, further on uh, this morning, but um, if, if you uh, are familiar with the New Testament and particularly when Jesus walked among us, uh, the teachers of the law came to Jesus and they were asking him about marriage. And they were kind of asking him uh, about the, uh, if, they, if he would give them permission to redefine marriage in Matthew chapter 19. I said, we'll look at it a little bit more carefully. But, but in that text, they, they, they ask him this question. And I'm convinced, of course, that they had no idea that when they were asking Jesus this question, that they had audience with the very one who designed marriage. You see, it tells us in Colossians chapter 1 that... Uh, it is the Son of God who made all things. He is the creator. He made all things for himself and by himself. And, and so we have this reality where they had no idea that they were asking the very designer and creator of marriage if they could redefine it. And so as we come to the text here, we recognize that that Jesus is the one, the Son of God, was the divine agent who created marriage itself, who in fact created man. That's why he said to them, well, I simply answer the question by saying to you that uh, as it was in the beginning, it says there that God made male and female, and uh, for this reason... A man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's how Jesus answered the question, because he is the designer. He went back to the actual design and defined it. He simply said, I, I'm, I'm not going to let you redefine the, the marriage. I, I'm going to define it all over again for you. And so we have this definition here in Genesis chapter 2, and there are some specific descriptions. Let me start reading uh, verse 19, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. Um, and uh, at the end of verse 18, you see, uh, God had said, I will make a helper suitable for him. Or the word that I shared with you last week, or the two words were? See, this is why I review. See? It was incredibly memorable. I, I taught you a couple of Hebrew words, and... You just allowed them to evaporate. Dare I put Reverend Dwayne on the hook and ask him? It's just like, no, don't do that. When eight uh, ser connect, dude, you remember that? You see, this is the same response I got in the first service. But here's what happened in the first service: they started arguing with me. They started saying, they started heckling me, saying, "You never said that. We never heard that." at least this lippy section that was over here on this side. And so for the rest of the sermon, I had to preach over here. There was much more response. 
Eitzer Konektu. That's what the word is here, the two words here that are used. And, and, and the word, remember I talked about it, means correspondingly opposite or a suitable helper that is, that is opposite. And, and uh, that's the description. So God says to Adam, uh, I, I'm going I'm to get you a helper suitable. And then he parades the animal kingdom before Adam as we're reading through here. And so Adam's checking out all the animals and, and they're walking by and he's looking and he's saying like, where's my Eitzer Konektu? All right, that's what he's looking. And at the end of verse 20, it says, but for Adam, no Eitzer Konektu was found. So women are, another word that you might want to use for women is Eitzer Konektu. So you can say, Eitzer Konektu, please come here. And sit beside me. And so Adam did not see anything for him. So the Lord God, it says, caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And so we have this correspondingly opposite suitable helper is now presented. In fact, we, we, uh, as we read through, we realize that, that the man is hunting for the Eitzer Konektu, but nothing was found in the animal kingdom. And then if you'll remember, last week, uh, the man said, Shazam, remember? You do remember that, don't you? Of course you remember that. And the man said, Shazam, because now God uh, does his finest work in creation and presents before him the Eitzer Konektu. Now, uh, I got an email through the week, and um, one of, the, uh, one of uh, our, our stalwart men here at the church said that he woke up at 4.30 in the morning and looked over beside him and said to the Eitzer Konektu, who was in bed with him, Shazam. And uh, he said it didn't go so well. And so he's thinking of coming up with another word uh, to, uh, to greet. But this is what Adam said because, if you remember what we said last week, um, th this, uh, this idea of the, the rib or uh, a, a section of flesh that is taken out of Adam uh, is this idea of flesh of my flesh. And uh, remember we talked about this relationship between a husband and wife is like no other relationship between human beings. We talked about it being flesh line, which is an upgrade or even beyond bloodline. We talk about bloodline as we're related in our families, but this is flesh line. This is something entirely different. This is of, a, of another order of relationship that is described here. And, uh, and the idea is she was taken out of his side, the rib. The emphasis is on placement. The word there, tsela. Say it, tsela. And don't say I didn't say it to you next couple of weeks from now. Tsela means to the side. And so the idea was the interdependence, flesh of my flesh, um, interdependence symbolically. Uh, not good for the man to be alone. So he's missing the key component of his flesh. And uh, the idea of the equality of personhood with this correspondence, interdependence, and, uh, and the man goes hunting uh, uh, this, from, for this uh, part of him that was taken to build a woman. And, uh, and then it says, for this reason, so the cause now, the, the because, 
Uh, all this has taken place, and the, the so what? Now what? The man leaves his father and mother and goes hunting to pursue that part of him that w- is found only in a woman. Right? This is the original design, and it's an official act. The idea of leaving the father and the mother, it's a customary official act. You know, and when people say, well, what's the piece of paper? It doesn't matter. You just, you know, claim who the woman you want and that. No, no, no. There's a customary, whatever the custom will be in your culture that's the official act of commitment to this compliment, to this reality is what he's talking about here, this official idea And then the sexual union celebrates this creation reality whereby man and woman is returned to one flesh. This great description of the creative design of God. That's the design. And uh, as we read through a couple more verses into chapter 3, We find out that this beautiful and perfect design, marriage designed to provide companionship, this perfect design in chapter 3 meets sin. Adam and Eve fall into sin, and marriage is now fallen. And from Genesis chapter 3 to today at Calvary Baptist Church 2015, marriage is in a state of fallenness because two fallen sinful people marry it's broken and the description of what happens in this brokenness of marriage is found in verse 16 of chapter 3 which describes for the most part the reality of marriage At the end of verse 16, it says this, Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. There's been a change now. As a result of sin that has come upon the relationship, the way the woman will relate to the man and the way the husband, the man will relate to his wife is now broken and fallen and is described in Genesis 3. And in the absence of divine intervention in our marriages, we will battle with this reality. So the world around us is seeking to redefine marriage according to the flesh to try and somehow deal with this reality in Genesis 3. Later on in the scriptures, we're going to have God's take on how this can be redeemed but in the meantime we have this fallenness of marriage now the description here with the two genders goes something like this for the women your desire will be for your husband what does that mean there's a variety of descriptions that you can read about the description that I find most compelling is based on the fact that the word desire there is found in the Old Testament scriptures only three times It's unusual for a word to be found so uh, scarcely, but it also helps us to narrow down meaning. And this second place it's found is in the next chapter, in Genesis chapter 4. And since it's the same author using the same word, 
it would give us the strongest, I think, idea of how to interpret this word. So if you turn over in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, you will come to the incident of Cain and Abel, the first two brothers. And uh, as you know, Cain decided in his heart to hate his brother Abel. And then the Lord God talks to Cain in verse 6 of Genesis 4. And he says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will, uh, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires, same word, to have you, but you must master it. Now, when we think of sin desiring us, uh, we, the only description that makes any sense is that sin wants to dominate your life. And so when we look back here and say, so what could this mean in this beautiful idea that God had designed whereby the two married couples, the flesh line, the one flesh couple put together in the pristine garden of Eden uh, with every advantage to walk side by side, to serve God, to, to, uh, to demonstrate his, the reality of God. What could this mean? It, it, it means uh, from how, interpreting these words as far as I can understand is that uh, what once was going to be a beautiful relationship uh, will be now from the female's perspective a desire to dominate, to rule over, to control. The natural, okay, the natural sinful tendency is to want to dominate and control and rule over. And the husband's response sinfully in return in this text is he will rule over you. In other words, there will be a dominant harshness to the man to, um, to uh, suppress uh, his, his wife, his, his counterpart. Instead of walking with you, his wife, and being for his wife, he will rule over her harshly. This is what sin-filled marriages look like. Now, um, you can't fix this by the flesh. You can go to counseling sessions, you can read all kinds of books, you can study people's lives, uh, you can look at each other and say, we got to do better, we will do better, but you can't fix this by the flesh. Just like any other sinfulness, you can't fix sin by the flesh. It has to be repented of. It has to be uh, counteracted by the powerful work of the Spirit of God. This can only be countered by Christ himself. And unfortunately, instead of seeking redemption, people have decided to try and redefine marriage somehow. Uh, maybe we can fix it ourselves. And the sad part is, it's not just the world seeking to redefine marriage, but it is believers who are redefining marriage. It is believers who are trying to make this unworkable situation work in a way that does not honor God, in a way that does not match the original design, on a way that does not bring joy and blessing to their lives. And so marriage that was designed to provide amazing and wonderful companionship has turned into domination and harsh, harshness. 
and it's a vicious circle. Now, um, what I find is that, um, well, let's, let's move on to point two. Let's move on. We've got to move on. Uh, I want to look at Isaiah 43 with you. Isaiah 43 uh, for our second point this morning. In Isaiah 43, beginning at verse 11, it says this, I, even I, am the Lord. And apart from me, there is no Savior. And I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I, and not some foreign God among you. And then he says this, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Now, you've seen, you've seen this before. You've seen this statement before. Where have you seen this before? You remember when Jesus was standing before his followers and he was, being asc- he was ascending into heaven? He said, you are what? My witnesses. When? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. Now here in this both Old Testament text and in the New Testament text, we have this continuity of purpose. Remember it says that in Colossians 1 that we were made for Jesus. We were made to be witnesses of the truth and reality of the living God. We are the light of the world. He says here that that you will be my witnesses that I am God. That by, by how you live... The people there that are wondering, that are agnostic, that, that, that are not sure about, they, they will look at your lives and, and you will display the glory of God. You will demonstrate by how you live that God is wonderful and awesome and, and, and a loving God and a great God and a powerful God and a God worthy of worship and, and, and uh, you, you will demonstrate how, how glorious it is and what he offers. You will demonstrate the reality of God because marriage is designed to promote the witness of God. When the Apostle Paul was writing to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, he said the, uh, the church, the, the, the calling of God's people together is, the, is to demonstrate the manifold witness or the v- varied w- wisdom of God to the principalities and powers in the heavenlies. In other words, God puts us on display in front of the angels and the demonic horde to bring him glory. God uh, entrusts to us that we would be witnesses of who he is. And the demons are cackling at God the Father and saying to him, are you kidding me? You are putting your reputation and character on the line through human beings. And God's saying, absolutely, yes. That's exactly what I'm doing. Do we realize, have we come to terms, have we come to grip the reality of the privilege it is that Almighty God would entrust to us the responsibility of witnessing to the world the glories of His reality And so not only is that in our 
in our, our salvation reality or in the church as a whole, but our individual marriage relationships are the core essential basic witness to the reality of God. That's what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. He says, I'm talking, I'm not really talking so much about marriages as I am about the mystery of the relationship of Christ and his church. Our marriages are putting the glory of God on display. How important is it then, do you think, that we get this right? How important do you think it is that we define this right? How important do you think it is that we make sure we're not redefining marriage, but we are in fact following the original blueprint that God has laid out for us if we are given that responsibility to be his witnesses. And so we demonstrate by bringing the battle of the sexes as a result of the fallenness of sin. We bring the battle of the sexes to peace to harmony, to unity, to love. So people will say as they look at our relationships, I'm not sure what's going on there, but whatever they have, I want a piece of that. I mean, as we look at the landscape, we're not here to redefine marriage. We are here to define marriage so that people can see what God can truly do in a relationship and in fact want what we have. And more particularly want who we have. Now, there are requirements that come along with this, and uh, I've given you a whole host of verses that in our marriages we are to marry another witness. God's word makes it abundantly clear that we are not to marry someone who does not have the Holy Spirit. If we are a follower of Christ, we are to marry a follower of Christ. And I put down as a whole bunch of verses starting Genesis 6 right through to 2 Corinthians 6. I'm not going to take the time to look at those, but, but in each of those verses, it's, it's warning God's people that you will jeopardize your testimony if you take someone into that close a relationship, into the most intimate relationship of all. You will jeopardize your testimony and witness before God if that person is not a believer too. People might be saying here, wait a second, I'm married to an unbeliever, Pastor. What's, what's there for me? Listen, we won't, we'll catch that in the, in the second part, but let me quickly say, in case you're concerned about that, that, that God's word makes it abundantly clear in 1 Corinthians 7 that if you find yourself in a marriage whereby your husband or your spouse is not a believer because you've come to faith in Christ and now you find yourself married to an unbeliever, you're to stay with them, you're to remain with them. Because who knows but that your life, your, re, your reality with God might move their heart to respond to God. But if they don't like uh, your God and they don't like your relationship with God and they move out, then they're free to leave. But we, that's, that's something we need to talk about more. But simply put, we are called upon to honor the marriage by making sure we guard it in every possible way. It was in Genesis 6 that the whole world was brought into judgment because of mixed marriages. If you read there in Genesis 6, 1 and following, you'll find out that it says there, when the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair or good-looking, they took any of them as they chose. And ultimately, the race 
related to God, the people who were serving God, had become intermingled to such a degree that now uh, the, 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 uh, um, the testimony of God in the world was limited to one family. And God brought judgment in the world. And then you follow through, you'll see in Kings where you have Solomon and Ezra and Nehemiah where they were, they were, um, their hearts were stolen away from God in 1 Corinthians 7 and 2 Corinthians. You'll see this. Don't marry someone without the Holy Spirit. You also find in this idea of promoting the witness of God that our marriages are a covenant, not a contract. This is crucial because the people around us are redefining marriage to be a contract. You hear terminology in the legal system like, do you have a prenup before you get married? Do you have a prenuptial agreement? What's that? That has nothing to do with the Bible. That has nothing to do with God. That's a contract. Contracts have no place in marriage. Marriage is a covenant. Uh, let me just describe it with you. In fact, turn back to Matthew chapter 19. Uh, I've given you texts in the scriptures. Proverbs 2.17, Ezekiel 16.8, Malachi 2.14, Matthew 19.6, 1 Corinthians 7.10.11. All are related to the fact that it's covenant. What God has joined together. Jesus said when they said, we, we want to redefine marriage. We, we want to, uh, in fact, the, the, uh, in Matthew 19, the teachers of the law came to Jesus and they said to him, can we divorce our wives for any and every reason? In fact, long before our courts came up with the idea of no-fault divorce, it was already there. That's what they were asking Jesus. Can we have a no-fault divorce? And we want you to give us a stamp of approval. We want theological right to do that. And so Jesus uh, looks at them when they ask him that, and he says this to them. No. That's what he said, No. Now, I, I know he said it in a, a rabbi kind of way. He said, have you lost your minds? Are you not paying attention to the beginning where cr the creator made male and female? And for that reason, a man would leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And then he says to them this, what God has joined together, let not man take apart, separate. Now, let me just throw a parenthetical moment in here for you. I, I know that I speak in an audience where some have come from a failed marriage situation. I don't have, I, I'm not, the purpose of today again is not to go into the um, intricacies of divorce and remarriage and all of that because I'm giving you a, a look at what just simply a biblical definition of marriage. That's what I'm doing today. But let me just say this to you so that you uh, don't take this wrong and you're not hurt and wondering, what am, where do I fit in? What am I going to do? Listen, today, you know what today is? Today is a day of new beginnings. That's what today is. Today is a day where I present to you a biblical design of marriage. And if you are willing, by the power of the Spirit of God, you have an opportunity from today to live according to the design of God. That's what I'm presenting to you today. That's the extent of what I want to present today. So can you please understand that, what, that Jesus made it very, very clear of what a marriage is. It's a covenant. Let me, let me make sure you know what a covenant is. A covenant was demonstrated by God in Genesis with Abraham, Genesis 15. God was going to demonstrate to Abraham how good his promise was. And so he said to Abraham, I want you to take some animals and I want you to cut them in half and I want you to lay them each side, each half, and I want you to leave a pathway in the middle. 
And then God made a promise to Abraham that he would give him, if you remember, he would give him uh, uh, offspring that would be the, the sands in the seashore as the stars in the heavens, and he would give them the land. And he made this promise, this, this covenant with Abraham. And then he walked between the dead animals. And when God walked between the dead animals, he was saying to Abraham, if I break my promise to you, Abraham, I would have to be like these dead animals. I would have to die. And since God can't die, he will never break his promise to you. So when God defines marriage as a covenant, he's using the same terminology. In, in, the, in Malachi, God says, I'm witness to your marriage. Just like all the people who come, I'm witness to your marriage. And, and I'm joining this marriage together. And you are representing the gospel in your marriage. You are representing the salvation relationship that I have with my people in marriage. And just like I will never leave you and never forsake you, when I save you and call you into my family and I promise to be your God, I will never leave you. And your marriages illustrate the permanence of that promise. So this covenant is to demonstrate the reliability of God, that he will never leave us. Christ doesn't break covenant with us. And that's why in our marriage ceremonies, which in many cases are being redefined in terminology as well, we always make promises to each other until what? Until death do us part. Why do we make that promise? We make that promise because it's theological. It's rooted in the original design of covenant. Now, those people who understand about covenant, understand what that means, are taking that kind of lingo out of their promises. But we made, most of us in our marriages, made the right promise until death do us part. Now, I understand about brokenness and fallenness, and that the design and the ideal didn't necessarily work for everyone. Not because of God's bad design, but because of our hard hearts. That's what Jesus said. He said, why did Abraham, or why did Moses give a, a, a certificate of divorce? And what was Jesus' answer? Because you have hard hearts. Now, with the couple of moments that I have left, what does this look like? What's the, what's the recovery here? Ladies and gentlemen, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, 25. Here, it's, here it is. Remember the, the brokenness, the fallenness is women harshly or women uh, desiring to dominate and control, men harshly ruling over. What's the repair on this? The repair is this. Women, listening to me? Look at me. Look at me, ladies. I just want you to know that I have wiggled around this. I have waffled around this. I have done a variety of things in my life as I've taught this over the years because I'm afraid of women. <laughs> but with this moat of instruments in front of me, I have suddenly become very bold. And I'm just going to tell you the truth this morning. Okay, I'm just going to tell you the truth. And here it is. Women, say yes. 
Okay? Say yes. That's your role in marriage. Say yes. You're saying, come on now. Well, okay, look at the text. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. Now, let me ask you, ladies. What do you think the church is supposed to look like in its relationship to Christ? Do you have a picture in your mind? When Christ asks something, Christ leads in some direction, what is the church supposed to do? Say yes. That's what the church is supposed to do. Now I know, I know, and I've said this, you're looking for the conditional clause. You're looking for, well, yes, but if my husband, right? That's what you're thinking. Did you find that in the text? You find that anywhere? Do you find a conditional clause there anywhere? Say, well, if my husband was really nice to me, if he was Romeo, if he brought me flowers every night, if he, if he didn't say Shazam at 4.30 in the morning, if he was really kind to me, then maybe we could do something here. I, you know, when I, I was wanting to find that this week as I was studying, studying, studying. Where is it? It's not here. It's not here, ladies. Your requirement is an unreserved yes. The new natural inclination of the Christian woman in her marriage is submit, it's yield, it's yes. Now you're going against the sinful urges to dominate and control and it's a complete flip by the power of God's Spirit. Keep in mind, the context of this is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now what about the men? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing her with water. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Husbands, love, man, love to death your wife. That's what it says here. Love to death your wife. Love her so much, sacrificially, give yourself for her as Christ gives himself for the church. Now, while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. While we were yet unlovable, Christ died for us. While your wife is unlovable, die for her. Give to her. Do whatever it takes. That's the demonstration that's given here. Listen, ladies, do we understand? Men, do we understand what we are doing here? We have been given the task, the responsibility, the privilege of demonstrating the relationship of Christ and his church to the world. It's a high call. It's a high demand. It's not easy. It can only be done by the power and presence of the Spirit of God. That's the context of this, this whole thing. Be filled with the Spirit and no longer live by the flesh. This is a, a call to an upgrade that is something that we don't know and don't experience because we have never embraced what the Spirit of God could do in our lives and what our marriage could look like if we would just simply say, yes, Lord, I'll live this way. 
Ladies, do you realize that you are setting the pace and the agenda for the next generation of men and women, little men and little women, on how they respect authority? Do you realize that God has given you that side of salvation to teach the world what it is and how the church ought to relate to Christ? That's your role. Men, do you realize that you are training the next generation of people on servant, sacrificial, loving leadership as Christ loves the church? That's what our marriages are called to. We're called to a whole other ideal. And why are we called to this ideal? If you read down at verse 30, it says this, for we are members of his body. This is not a how to have a happy marriage and, 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 and uh, kind of a romantic book. This, this is way beyond that. This is how to have the richness of the ultimate design in marriage. Will it be happy? Will it be blessed? Of course it will be. I mean, if we're functioning at the highest level by the presence of God's Spirit in His design, how could it be anything but entirely enriching, entirely fulfilling. Ladies, would it not be easy? You've already said this. I've heard this said so many times to me. Well, if my husband would treat me like Christ treats the church, then I would submit to him. Yeah, that's, that's of course. But here's the deal. Christ is never going to ask you at the end of it all, how did your husband treat you? He's never going to ask you, men, at the end of it all, how did your wife treat you? He is going to say this. What did you do with the word that I gave to you? That's it. What did you do with the word that I gave to you? Ladies, your package deal is 22 to 24. That's it. Men, your package deal is 25 to 29. That's the deal. Why? Because we are members of his body. And then Paul goes on to say, this mystery I'm talking to you about is Christ and his church. Marriage is designed very carefully to illustrate the truth of how Christ, Pastor Steve, and the church operate. Make the church and Christ the talk of the town. Brothers and sisters, we are outraged at the redefinition of marriage that our world is uh, busy constructing. And we haven't shown them the design of God. If, if, they, if they look to us for the light, of the truth about marriage, what are they seeing? Year, a couple years ago, I was uh, given an assignment of teaching marriage in India. And uh, you know, there's something that Muslims and Hindus are doing better than Christians, and that is staying married. I'm not promoting a Muslim marriage and I'm not promoting a Hindu marriage, but I was teaching these Indian guys who'd come to faith in Christ out of Hinduism about marriage. And one young man said to me, with respect, Pastor, 
He said, I got to be honest. He said, this Western Christian message about marriage doesn't seem to work where you come from because your marriages are falling apart at a rate of 50%. Hindu marriages don't break down for the most part. Muslim marriages don't break down for the most part. I'm not suggesting that there are other factors and all that. I get that. But hey, come on. God designed us for something better than this. God designed us to, to live out the truth of his relationship with the church. And you know, um, like I said, there, there may be a lot of things going on in the background of your life and your history and all of that, but, but today is a day to start over with God. Our, our marriages need that. The, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the likelihood of it being embraced and becoming the talk of the town in Oshawa, I believe with my whole heart has everything to do with whether or not the people of Oshawa would really see genuine Christianity. And it starts at the most basic level, our relationship and how we relate to our husband and our wife. I'm going to invite you just to bow your heads as we conclude this morning. And I just simply want to say that I said today was a day of starting over, a day of, of going forward from here. It's, there's an opportunity for us. Man, it, it really needs to start with us. We need to respond to the word of God in our marriages. As your heads are bowed, I'm really asking you all to not look around. This is between God and you, man. If the Spirit of God has spoken to you and you're falling short of the design and God's prompting your heart this morning, would you just place, put your hand up so I can pray for you? Would you? Man, all over, all over the congregation. Thank you. Man, we're called. We're called to give our lives for this beautiful woman that God has placed in our life that we might show how much Jesus loves his church ladies maybe this is a tough tough call for you but I'm asking you as well would you be willing to from this day forward say Lord I want to live it your way I, I, I realize that in marriage I need to say yes are there ladies who would just slip up their hand and say, I, I have not, I've been falling short as well, and I need something different in my life. I need to respect and honor my husband. I need to be willing to say yes. I see, I see your hands. God sees your hearts and your hands. Can we imagine in our heart of hearts what God would do if we really embrace this as couples in a new and powerful way through the power of God's Spirit? You can't flesh this out. This has got to be God working in your life. God could begin a great powerful work of witness among us that would shake and change our community for Christ. And if it doesn't start in our families, it's not going to go to the streets. So here's what I'm going to point out to you is that 
what Satan wants to do and he wants to keep doing is wrecking your relationship so that you're not what you could be. And he's going to take you out of here this morning. He's going to say, you know what? Your spouse, by the time you get home, is going to do something that makes you wish you didn't put your hand up. That's what he's going to do. Because that's what we're like. Could you recognize this for what it is? Satan's mischief. And call on the Lord instead of yelling at your spouse. Call on the Lord, oh God. Make me the person in the marriage that you have called me and designed me to be. I answer to you. And in turn, I believe God over time will absolutely renovate our relationships in marvelous ways. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Our Father and our God, you've worked on our hearts. You've worked over our hearts today. We don't want to be hard-hearted people. And Lord, we look around us and say, why are they redefining marriage? You're looking at us and saying, why are you redefining marriage? I gave you a beautiful design. I gave you a, perf- a, a, a wonderful spouse. Why are you messing up? Why are you not trusting in me? Why are you not allowing my, the power of God to work in your life? Why, why are you waiting for your spouse? Why are you holding things against your spouse? I'm calling you. Oh God, I'm, I'm asking that, that you would invade the hearts of our men powerfully change them. I pray, Father, that we would turn from unfaithfulness, turn from anything that would distract us from our wife. Help us to really engage in what it would mean to live sacrificially, give of ourselves that our wives may benefit from our lives and from us being in their lives, oh God. And I pray that our wives would turn back from control and and, and desiring to dominate and and all the the stuff, Lord, that, that has just ruined relationships and that they just embrace the opportunity to trust you to change their husband's heart by their respect and by their honor, oh God, that we might have relationships. So Father, would would you rest your spirit powerfully in the lives of the women of this church, the wives of this church, oh God, that our children who are to become godly people would see that we are people who abide by the will of God and they in turn will follow the will of God. How can we expect our children to follow the the, the teachings of Christ if we're not following the teachings of Christ? Oh God, may we show them by your power and presence and strength what it looks like to model your salvation plan. Oh God, you've rescued us and we thank you. Hosanna, save us. Save us in our marriages, oh God. For Jesus' sake I pray. Amen and amen.